I uh, am going to be sharing several comments and principles from a book called Pathway to Renewal, Practical Steps for Congregations. I saw this book sitting on the pastor's desk, Pastor Wes here at St. John's. And he and I were meeting and I picked it up and started thumbing through it and he had it all marked up and I turned to a particular page and I was so taken with what I was reading that I got my phone out and snapped a quick shot of that page so I could have it and bring it into my future notes. And he said, here, and he got up, left his desk, went out somewhere out there in the foyer and came back with this book and said, here, here's a copy. I had three left. First slide, Jeff. I'm going to be with you here because I didn't make notes, I made slides. First slide of my notes, please. Thank you. Last week I used a word that some have asked me to repeat because it really bears repeating deconstruction. I think we live in an hour of deconstruction. Politics, science, education, but I'd submit to you what is going on in the world around us is always first going on in the realm of the spirit. There's a deconstruct that's been going on in people's lives and people's faith. Last week I gave you an example of two men who are deconstructing in their faith. And I made some comments about that. I want to take that, but I want to go a different direction tonight. Along, along, the, uh, along the faith and the, and the efforts of these two authors, Daniel Smith and Mary Salon, to discover a pathway to renewal. Next slide, Jeff. Here's a good definition of deconstruction. To analyze by deconstruction, typically in order to expose its hidden internal assumptions and contradictions and subvert its apparent significance or unity. That may seem scary. I, I don't know what your reaction to that is. Mine right now happens to be very positive. I love calling into question my assumptions about everything. Because boy, after this many decades of living, some of you have me beat, many of you, I've been married longer than you've been on the planet. So we're at all different levels. But I'm going to encourage you that deconstruction spiritually can be a very smart, and godly thing because it calls us to expose hidden assumptions and contradictions and then really question their significance. Let me give you an example from last week. We talked about transactional Christianity from John chapter 1 verse 12. This would be a very common translation of that verse. Yet to all who did receive him, 
to those who believed in his name, he gave right or the right to become children of God. So we shared a couple of notes with you, also shared this same verse from a different translation called the Mirror Translation. Let me look at just a paragraph of those notes. Neither God's legitimate fatherhood nor his ownership here is in question. Mankind's indifference to their true origin is the problem. This is an important point since many translations of this verse suggest that God's ability to make us his sons can only be in response to something we must first do in order to trigger God into action. And so God's been dealing with my heart about this transactional type of Christianity and I found myself living it for the past many decades. In fact, it was front and center and core to my Bible schooling in my Bible college. Everything was built upon transactional Christianity. So I'm deconstructing from that and calling those assumptions into question and finding new life in the scripture and new life in my Savior, new commitments to Jesus as my Savior and my Lord, my crucified God, my crucified God. Next slide. Here's another one, going to church. I think going to church needs to be deconstructed. <laughs> I really do. So going to church when we were young meant putting on nice clothes and walking into a building at a prescribed time, singing and listening to a sermon and maybe responding to a, you know, a call for response. Have I generally, generally described the average church service as you were growing up? And that's not wrong, and there's a lot of incredible churches doing an incredible job at reaching people and loving people with uh, a model like this. But what happens when that model is either broken for you or not working? Is that a model or is that the definition Jesus gave us for church? See, that, that's what I want us to be careful of. Do we just assume because that's what we've done for 10 years, 15 years, 20 years, 30, 40, 50 years, that that is the church Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And yet we see the gates of hell prevailing against so many believers today in so many different ways. And I, I have to deconstruct at that point. I have to, because we sang tonight, God's made a promise and we should not let go. He will perform that. And I'm saying, God, I know you're real and you're true and you do not change. I know your word is absolutely dependable. And so it must, it must have to do with my assumptions and my presumptions and my models of what I have thought Christianity is about going to church as one of those. Let me present a different look. This is a church alive, number one. We must be a group of people committed to understanding and practicing the teachings of Christ. Number two, we need to have a web of relationships that are, that are formed by these people who share that commitment. It is not enough to hear sermons about what we should do if 
in breaking that down and living that, we don't form community. Jesus never called us to repeat a, a new form of Torah, New Testament Torah, where we simply come, hear a sermon, leave, do our best to obey, and then come back next week knowing that we fell short. And so we're always a little guilty, a little sorrowful, a little ashamed, a little wondering if God's going to bless me, if that's your model. Transactional Christianity. Number three, a church alive is a church that becomes a container in which they practice with each other how to love, serve, and forgive. Do you know that's why I come to church? It didn't used to be. I used to come to church for the wow and to see a miracle and to see somebody lay hands on somebody and see him shake or maybe fall to the ground or, you know, that used to really impress me. Uh, and and then, then I've been in some meetings where I got pushed to the ground. And then I've been in to some meetings where, you know, people were hauled up out of wheelchairs and given the microphone. And, and, I, and they testified that they were healed. And I found out that they were a plant just to make the preacher look good. And, and, and then I found out that a lot of times what goes on behind the scenes in preparing for the service and I'm not going to go on because I, I don't need to burden you with my discouragement or, or my realities or my deconstructing. But I, 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 in all of that, I never let go of Jesus and I never let go of his word. I just called into question all my assumptions about the models that I had grown up with. And I said, Lord, you said you would build my church. Now, you do not lie and your word does not lie. And I'm after that church. And these are three of the values, three key points. Jeff, let's go back through them, please. Slip back to that first point. A group of people committed to understand it. Wait, stop, hold the fort. Stop the car. A group of people committed to understanding. See, we've been heavy on practice, especially if it involved like miracles or pushing people over, or having them fall on the floor and testifying that they, you know, had a miracle or, you know, whatever. And I love those things. I was birthed in those things. I had one of the most supernatural experiences with the Holy Spirit as a 14-year-old boy who went to a meeting on my own. I rode my bicycle to get there down here at the Denver Coliseum with Morris Cirillo decades ago. Such a powerful experience thrown back in my chair from a standing position. My lips begin to stammer. It was Acts chapter 2 all over as a young Southern Baptist boy. And nobody will ever be able to talk me out of that experience because I know it happened and it was real. And I find it in the Bible as something that's real. But you know what? It is not just about practicing. It is about understanding. What, Jesus, did you mean? Apostle Paul, what did you mean when you said that? Because interpretation and understanding before we practice is so very important. Because lots of things have been presented as good practice and things we should obey and do and they've led to faulty models 
and deconstructing of Christians who are now losing their faith and not going to church and they're bitter at God and they're bitter at the local church. And there's no reason that that should be happening if, number one, we're really true. Number two, Jeff, please help me out. We, we, we must form a web of relationships formed by those committed people, okay? Without the relationships, then, then the teaching, the practicing, and the understanding is just going to, it, it, it's just going to become meaningless. You're going to be an island to yourself, and Jesus never called you to his teaching or to his church so that you could be an individual out on an island. Number three, Jeff, quickly. Number three, a container. We've got to be a container where we practice with each other how to love, serve, and forgive. Problem is most people run away when they're not being loved. <clears throat> and so it's difficult in the church today. Every local church experiences this. And so people run away before there's really an establishment of love, serving, and forgiving. Jeff, next slide, please. I want to be a church of outpouring. Jesus said, I will build my church. The first church, the very first church ever built, the very first one after Jesus died, rose again and went back to heaven, the first church was full of outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And awesome things happened. They call it, a whole book was written about it now. They call it the Acts of the Holy Spirit. Now, some call it the Acts of the Apostles. Others call it the Acts of the Holy Spirit. It should be the Acts of the Holy Spirit through the Apostles. But it happened through not just the apostles, it happened to the entire local church. Number one, first value, we're a community of people who are present to one another and to God. You know, sometimes I have come to church and I, I mean, I don't feel God any more than a cucumber. Do you know what I mean? Sometimes your feelings, you don't want to be there, you, don't, you didn't want to come, you made yourself come, you're, not, you're just not, could we say, I'm just not feeling it, Pastor Jeff. Could you repeat that with me? <laughs> I'm just not feeling it, Pastor Jeff. I know. You just, I never tell you about the times I'm not feeling it, but I still come. And you say, yeah, because you've got to preach. No, wrong. There's lots of times I could have stayed home and not gone to church. In fact, there was a nine-year period where I was not the preacher. And I went to church every Sunday, come hell or high water. I went to church when my wife did not go with me. I found my little fanny, well, I found my fanny in a chair in church. You know why? I loved the teaching of the Word of God. But I knew that if I got there, I could present to other people and to God. God, here I am. I don't, I'm not feeling it, but here I am. And inevitably, when I left that place, God got a hold of me, spoke to me. And through my smile, my handshake, my warmth, my... I think I was a blessing to other people even when I went. Started, I started down. It's not about you always. We're a body. It's not about you. It's about the fact that he made us 
for his pleasure, for his glory. Number two, second value if we're going to be a church of outpouring is that we provoke insight and growth. We should never be afraid of that. Provoke. What, what are we doing to provoke in one another insight and growth? Do we just accept that this is the way we've always done it? This is what we've always believed? I've had people tell me that, and then when I say, well, where's the verse? They, they don't know. They can't tell me in the Bible. They, they, they never open the Bible. But they just know this is what the Bible says. That's wrong, folks. We need to provoke insight and growth. Number three. We call out the best in each other. Number four, if we're going to be a church of outpouring, we need to encourage one another to discover our gifts. And number five, Jeff, we need to challenge each other in the use of those gifts in service. So when Nina stands up here, she's not just wasting her breath or doing that church slot like filling a transition time between when the music ends and when the pastor gets up. You know, there's a transition, you know, it's kind of awkward. So let's fill it with Nina getting up and, and talking to you about needless, frivolous things you're not interested in called announcements and, and then remind you that you need to obey God and tithe and give your offering or God won't bless you. I mean, that's, our, that's been the model now. You know, you, we do not believe that around here. I've had people tell me that. We need to challenge each other. Nina challenged you. She got up. It was in the form of, quote, an announcement. And she challenged you to get involved and to use your gifts and service. If we aren't about those five values, we won't be a church of outpouring. We'll be a church. And God in his love and mercy will always honor his word and do great things in our midst regardless. But we won't be a church about pouring a New Testament church of Acts. The book of Acts. Next slide, Jeff. So if a church is in decline, what do you do? That's what I love our authors here in Pathway to Renewal. They don't shy away from it. They talk about it. So what if, you're, what if you're not a church of outpouring? What if you're in decline? Next. Here's the hard truth. If you're a lay person in a congregation that's experienced decline, whether the congregation thrives is ultimately up to you and the other members. Your pastor can teach, he can guide, lead, support, inspire, even cajole. But in the end, congregational health is a function of how people in the congregation relate to one another, to God, and to their community. I don't like hearing that. <laughs> because that makes me responsible as a church member. It's not the pastor's responsibility to make the church grow. It's not the choir directors or the worship leaders or the youth pastor's responsibility to make the church grow. Through their gift, growth happens and comes. People certainly come because of dynamic worship. Good preaching will attract people. But the hard truth is 
that if a church is going to be a church of outpouring, if it's going to last, if it's going to go through the hard times and the difficult times, but be healthy, then that means ultimately it's up to all of you. Next slide, Jeff. When a congregation is truly being, ch being church, people find hope, they experience belonging, they extend and receive forgiveness, and they discover a sense of purpose and direction. Next. A congregation that is truly being church brings people into a loving, life-giving relationship with God and others that is transformational. I have a question. Over the past 10 years, is there someone that you have brought into a relationship with God in a way that their life has transformed? In the past five years, is there anyone that you've been instrumental in bringing into, introducing to our wonderful Father and their life has been transformed? In the past year, the past six months, in the past month? Is there anyone that because my relationship with God and you is so vibrant, so alive and healthy that when I'm around others who do not have a walk with Christ and aren't interested, I influence them? That is our goal in being an out, a church of outpouring. Because it's not about me. Jeff. Oh, I haven't finished. This is the nature of, and that's not a typo. This is the nature of kingdom of God. The kingdom of God. Where covenant relationships model the best aspects of family. People find hope and they experience belonging. They extend and they receive forgiveness you would have thought that these individuals read our mission statement. It's almost up there verbatim, the mission statement of this church. Next slide, Jeff. You know, many people liken uh, going to church, church being healthy and successful to a business. You know, the premise of a business is that they're offering something of value in exchange for money. Some of them use a lot of gimmicks and so forth to get you in, but ultimately you're not going to continue to go back to that business and make a purchase unless you find in that value. And so there's church growth specialists and so forth that say, what you've got to do is create a service where people find value in it. Well, and some even use all the gimmicks, okay? <laughs> you know what our greatest asset as a church is you. You are the greatest asset of our church. And we have the greatest message on the planet that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. We're going to close our time tonight.